What is up? I am Miguel Antonio, and you are listening to the Live and Create podcast. It's where I interview artists and entrepreneurs about what it means to live a great life and create great things. And before we dive into the episode today, I have an announcement to make. Uh, for those of you who have followed me for some time, you know I used to be in a band called Run With It. We toured to the Middle East and back, did a lot of really great stuff, meeting fans really all over the world. Uh, and then we th- we ended it, and we thought it was over, uh, but it is not over. Here in January 3rd, 2022, we relaunched Run With It uh, with a whole new uh, strategy. Well, really not whole new strategy, just a, a growth of our strategy. And uh, and we just did our first live stream event uh, with other bands from across the country, uh, hosted by our first sponsor, T-Shirts Matter, uh, T-ShirtsMatter.com. And so, yeah, a lot of cool stuff and a lot more things like that coming uh, your way from the band Run With It. So if you want to follow that story and if you want to know more of the story of why we're back and what we're up to, go follow us at Run With It Band, at Run With It Band, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, TikTok, all the places you follow people at. Um, And I would love for you to check that out, comment on things, and just dive into the story and be part of where we're going. Uh, And with that, I also launched a new podcast. It's a daily podcast called Run With It Daily. And in that podcast, it's only five to 10 minutes long. I drop it in the evenings and breaking down the details of the day-to-day life of leading a band, but also talking about the overarching strategies uh, that are behind our band uh, and and really the milestones that we're striving for as we build to seek to get back on the road uh, in 2022, meeting fans in person, and then also as we seek to establish ourselves in the licensing, NFT, and metaverse spaces. Uh, It's going to be a crazy adventure, so please come join in. If you want to listen to Run With It Daily, you can go to runwithitband.net. Again, that is runwithitband.net. You can also join in on the email list because we'll give you updates of when we're dropping new music. We got two brand new tracks coming out this summer. Uh, They're getting mixed currently. Uh, Excited about that stuff. Uh, And then here soon, we're going to re-release our previous EP in its entirety uh, with original artwork, all that good stuff. We'll get it back out to you very, very soon. But today, we need to dive into the podcast. So today's guest is Alex Garnett. Alex is the owner of Alex Garnett Audio and just recently built out the Triceratops Room, which is part of the Rhino in Kansas City, Missouri. His passion is making records for songwriters and helping their songs come to life and sound just like they heard it in their heads when they wrote them. Alex, in this episode, he breaks down the unique partnership of artists at Cultivar, uh, which hosts his studio, Triceratops Rooms, but but this place actually hosts Ben McBee Photography, Deadbeat Eats, Bar Nasty Ferments, uh, and I just was doing a taste test with them last night with all their uh, hot sauces. It was amazing. And the music ven- venue, the Rhino KC. He also shares his journey of learning the value of focus, hustle, and business mindset while setting out on creative endeavors. It's a great, great episode. Enjoy. The Live and Create Podcast. You're dying in the heat trying to set up the studio uh, yeah. in your in your brand new studio. Um, are you are you fully is it all yeah. fully done at this point? Uh, there's a couple of things that are still like larger, more visual or acoustical issues to deal with, but Okay. Structurally, it's all here. Um, there's some stuff integrating with the Rhino that's still a bit of a challenge and just kind of building up to what we need it to be. Nice. But yeah, I've been doing sessions in here for a couple of months now. That's awesome, man. When I know I walked in on, uh, it was you and Micah uh, doing some some mm-hmm. vocal stuff, which I thought was, it sounded pretty cool. What what was the chain that you were running them through? It, it created oh, such a unique sound. Uh because that was on Sad Boy, wasn't it? The like really remember. crazy. I mean, it didn't sound like Weezer. It was very like childish Gambino thing. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that was two different vocal chains. One was like the super high end. It's the thing we're using for the rest of the record. That's like an old eighty-seven and really nice mic pre's and compressors and all the typical stuff. And then there was a parallel one that was just like a crappy mic that I bought from Walmart that plugged into a pedal board that was getting distorted, that was going through a guitar <laughs> amp that was also distorting and like doing all that. Cause then like Micah could kind of play with what the effects are. And also like if he leans a little bit to one side or the other, 
then you end up with a different sound because you're closer to one mic or the other. Right. So it was kind of just like, okay, let's just make this thing weird because that's the direction you wanted to go. And is that that's the one on your Instagram feed then where you have the two mics set up next to each other? Is that the same session? Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I saw that. And I was like, I wonder if that's from that day. And yeah. I wish I wish we could like splice in a sound of it right now, but it, it was just a really, really uh, cool sound in there. And But what's amazing though, so like I came in that day because I'm hanging out at, uh, is it PT's now? Uh, Post. Who owns it? Post. Okay. Sorry about that. I so I was hanging out post and I like to do I like to sneak over to the rhino side sometimes just because it's quiet quieter over there. For sure, yeah. Um and then I, I see you guys were in the back, so I came to check it out. You have such a unique setup with your studio. Uh, multifaceted, uh doing live streaming for the rhino and then also doing your own uh recording there um what what has that been like as you've moved into the rhino and starting to 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 work both ends of that yeah i mean it's been a really cool thing and a really cool opportunity because we've been doing and i say we as myself and mostly like ben mcbee is the other guy that i work with a lot um we had been doing some stuff out of my previous studio for like once COVID hit and no shows happened, we did a few live streams for different artists and just said, hey, we're not taking a cut of this thing, but if you want to throw out your Venmo, Cash App, PayPal, whatever, people can tip you and it's something. Like, it's right. it's not going to be what by couch show West. is. Yes, Couch by Couch West is what we called it because <laughs> we wanted idea. to rip off the biggest music festival we could rip off for our genres. Why not? And they're uh, probably a little preoccupied with, you know, having to cancel everything to yeah. not send out cease and desist letters. We, right we now. didn't so get one. So that's so good. at least <laughs> I, I mean, Ben manages the email, so there may be one. But he was like, uh, fuck it, it. Delete. Yeah. No, that checks out. <laughs> um, yeah. So we had been doing streaming out of my old space and we did some really cool stuff because we did all of it. Well, mostly all of it. There was one full band, but stripped back. So it would be like, come do an acoustic set. And it'll be recorded really well because it's literally in a studio and we'll do great video for it and do all this stuff. So that kind of evolved into like, well, what else could we do with that? And I had been kind of jokingly saying that I wanted to build a studio in the Rhino for like two years or something at that point. And it just never was really an option, never made sense. Right. Then COVID hit and it made sense because... <laughs> Everyone got way more like, how can we diversify what we're doing? Yeah, suddenly everything that um, didn't make sense made so much sense, like Zoom meetings yeah. and people working remote. Oh, 100%. And, uh, let's all go in like with what you guys did. What's a unique thing with Ben, you, uh, is it Cheesy Street as yep. well is in there? And then uh, Post, uh, you can break that down too, kind of what you guys did. But I, I stepped in as you were doing your live stream story. There you go. You can jump yeah. back in on that. <laughs> yeah. So we had been doing live streams that had been going really well. And then I did a couple of like one-off things where I would show up to the Rhino and do recordings for people. And like, I had done that a couple different times. We had experimented with a bunch of ideas on that and it just seemed like, okay, cool. This, this can work. The stage is small, but like I can get good results. Also, there are some beneficial things for the way that my studio could be built out of this back half of the building. So I hit up Ben and Zach and we kind of got in conversation and it made enough sense. So we decided to go ahead on it. And it's been a really cool thing because I can do all of the typical, like it's a recording studio, I can run sessions, I can mix, I can do all that stuff. But there's also like a proper split from all of the signals that are on the stage coming back to my studio. So we can do all sorts of recordings there. If we want to just straight up record on the stage, it's easy. If we want to do live streams, it's super easy. We've started to actually like roll into more of those. We did um, Land Lion, Remorsefully Numb, and Camp a couple of days ago. The Way Way Back show that's in a couple of days from when we're recording this is going to be live streamed. So really starting to lean into that as like, not necessarily like a second venue, but another way mm. for the venue to reach people and be able to get any of the artists in front of people. Right. And also well, like, it's... yeah, I, I mean, there's been a few conversations that we've had where someone said, oh, I would have loved to come to that show, but I couldn't get a babysitter. But if the show was on your TV, 
you're good. You can right. still at least like check out the band that you really like. Absolutely. Well, and it's cool, one, that you guys, even being a smaller venue, the fact that you can kick out real amazing sound for that, because a lot of times live feeds are kind of an afterthought for people. Uh, they do a board mix, which is just often very terrible, uh, not flattering for anybody. And uh, here you guys are putting that into it. Now, what, what kind of reception are you seeing right now as far as the live streams? Yeah, so we haven't done tons of them, and it's been very, like, just proof-of-concept stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's, so far, fairly minimal feedback that we've received, but it's all been very okay. positive. Um, a lot of it is like, okay, cool, it actually sounds good, it actually looks good. Like, it is one of those things where most live streams out of venues are kind of sketchy just because no one knows what they're doing, or... <laughs> It's just kind of an afterthought where you do say, like, cool, we'll put one camera somewhere and someone will walk in front of it and then you have no option. Right. So a lot of those kind of things happen really frequently and we approached it very much like, okay, how can we make the end product good? Well, and you guys are doing multi-camera as well with the yeah. switching, correct? Yeah, so we're doing so... a couple of cameras. All of the audio is completely separate from what the actual venue is hearing. So, yeah, those kind of things just kind of compiled together, made it so it's like, cool, this is actually a real legitimate product. That's awesome, man. Well, it, it'll be cool to see how that grows. I was just reading an article where it's talking about um, Black Widow and how they they released it to to theaters and then also released it on streaming all at the same time. They've been doing obviously doing that a lot, uh, but it, it made like 80 million in the in the theater and about 70 million on streaming. So there was like this viable in-person thing when we're, when we're talking movies and then uh, a bunch of other people would rather stay at home still. And, but each one seems to have its own viability and I'm interested what it's going to look like a year or two years from now with folks like you who are taking it seriously, like how it's going to grow and what it'll look like. Yeah. And that's something that no one really has any idea what we're walking into yet because like it's almost a, like too little too late thing in some regards where Venues were shut down. Nobody could go to shows. Everyone wanted something, but nobody offered it because no one was equipped. Um, but now we're like, okay, cool. COVID's still totally not over. That's still a thing. So people still yes. are. Yeah. <laughs> so like until we get to the point that it's a non-issue, mm -hmm. there's still going to be people that just won't go to shows because it's risky. Absolutely. Um, or so, people who they they literally can't like if they're immune compromised or I know some yeah. people who take care of like an elderly mom and they just sure. can't risk it, even though it's a lower risk. They can't risk it. You know? Yeah. And yeah. So now you're offering something for them, but at a really at a high level. And are you guys charging for that or right now just in the proof of concept stage? Yeah. Or at this point, it's proof of concept, but I think next month, so August, we're planning on rolling out Patreon. Nice. So, um, yeah, I don't know that there's any like formal, this is our whole plan yet, because this was basically Ben Cruz, Ben, and myself yesterday talking through, like, what, where are we going from here? Yeah. But the goal is to have Patreon and have a couple different levels that give you, like, okay, free open mics are one level and then the next one up gets you into a certain number of shows and kind of snowballs from there to be able to say, cool, if you want to support at a higher price point, there's more stuff available to you. There might be some in-person benefits as well. I don't know. but some, some studio time with you, something like that. I don't know. I who knows? Kind of cool. we'll, we'll see. But yeah. some kind of thing where we can make it so that even if the live stream isn't necessarily like a money-making thing, it can at least start to cover itself. Right. And maybe for certain events, it'll be a big deal. Um, like if there's really bad weather, even it might be something where right. if someone was planning to drive from Overland park, but it's all iced out, if the band can still be here, hmm. then we could still do that. 
That's interesting, especially as you guys have been bringing in a lot of touring artists mm-hmm. where, like you said, like if they're touring in November, we get some weird-ass snowstorm that comes in. You still can help cover your costs. They still get to connect with new audiences. I love that. It's I love how creative this idea is to, to see a venue actually doing a Patreon and what that looks like. Yeah. Uh, the idea of supporting the art and su- supporting the community. It's really cool. Yeah, I mean, it should be a really interesting thing to just see, like, for one, who's actually interested, because, again, it's something that we haven't even launched. So right. by the time this is out, maybe we'll have an idea of how many people actually want to do it. But also the idea that we can do so much with it, just because it's like, I mean, we don't know where we're going to go with this thing yet, because we've not really launched it. <laughs> so yeah. we're just well, trying awesome, to see, man. like, what might be a good option offer what might be a good ask of people and then just see what happens yeah definitely well i love it i love the creativity it inspires me um i I have a long bike ride after this and so i'll probably be thinking like how do i how do i let that creativity you guys are doing challenge me in my own thinking and in my own business i i dig it excuse me now with you guys so I've had Zach, uh, which is part owner. I'm, I'm saying this more for the listeners. You, you know, this already (laughs) part owner of, uh, the Rhino, uh, Ben part owner now. And, uh, I don't know if Ben McBee will ever come on the podcast though. He doesn't like to be up front. Can we just ambush him one day with that? We should, or we'll, we'll just put a mic like somewhere on the table where he can't see it and get him a lot of beer. And maybe we can actually start asking him questions. He won't see it if it's both of us. That's probably nicer than my thought. I was going Billy on the street, <laughs> just run up to him and yell questions. <laughs> Tell us things. Tell us yeah. about your history. I love it. Yeah. Tell me how you got into photos and shove a mic into his face. <laughs> now, what did those conversations look like for you? So for the listener, um, you guys all take up pretty much the same space and you have it's shared space in a way, but you all have your own spots too. Uh, and it's one way you guys survived through COVID, but could could you break down what that that looked like for you guys? Yeah, it it's a little up in the air in some elements of it still, just because there is so much shared space that everyone has some form of utilization of, mm-hmm. or at least some um, like potential utilization. So, kind of the simplified way, especially for like myself, is I'm basically renting out a chunk of the building that the Rhino is in. Okay. And I built out what I need here and I'm able to operate my business there and do my thing. It gets a little more confusing for the other businesses because it's like the bar and the coffee shop share the exact same seating and the exact same everything. Like right. They operate different equipment but they're in the exact same space. <laughs> so it's it's a little tricky on some of that just because we have to outline all sorts of who does what and how does everything work and kind of have a bit more of like a community vibe for how we approach anything that we do here. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's not been too crazy. Not yet. That's cool. I, I think it's a great example though of like what creativity and entrepreneurship can look like. And, uh, it was exciting when McBee, Ben McBee first told me about what you guys are thinking about. And then I've had a chance now to visit with, really all of you guys in on some level on it. So when, when it comes to audio engineering though, like where did that start for you? Where did that love and passion? Cause being around you, you are passionate about it and you're passionate about the gear, you're pa- passionate about uh, capturing uh, the moments and, and really coming behind the artist. But where did that passion start for you? Yeah. So, I mean, throughout middle and high school, like I was in band, played drums, did that whole thing. And at some point, I think trying to like go through YouTube and learn new songs or whatever it was started kind of picking up on like some of these videos sound better than others. And how does that happen? And then just tried to get into it with what I had physically in front of me, which was some, I don't even know what the computer was, just some cheap desktop computer okay. and a very cheap mic that plugs into the mic jack. Yeah. (laughs) And then just figuring out like, okay, so I have this and a drum set. How, how do you do that? So a lot of trial and error, all that, that, and then just kept doing that, kept 
learning more and expanding more all throughout like mostly high school and then went to UCM Warrensburg however you want to know the university there and did their audio program and then have just kind of gone off and running with it that's awesome so that first year in school studying audio engineering was it kind of like all these light bulbs of like oh damn that's how you do it because you you spent all that time trial and erring <laughs> um yes and no it was kind of interesting because a lot of people come into that program kind of just saying audio seems cool let's go learn that gotcha. where i came into it being like cool i'm already doing this 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 and I'm already like running Pro Tools on my laptop, and oh, okay. So at you that had point, you had yeah. progressed quite far, yeah. during high school. Yeah. So it was like, okay, so much of this is review, and then once I got into like even the earlier courses, it was still like, well, I'm already running live sound for churches on Sundays. I'm already doing all this other stuff, and then I get intro to live sound. I'm like, well, okay, <laughs> we'll just go with this. So I was that guy that like every project went a little overkill because <laughs> I was like, yeah, I can do the thing you're asking me, but I'm also going to do this. <laughs> That's it, trying to find a way in, to challenge yourself. Was it, was yeah. that kind of the vibe? It was some of that. And just like, I at least kind of knew enough that I could tell when something didn't sound as good as something else might. Gotcha. So like, especially the first like full production course at UCM. Mm -hmm. um, you basically have a digital Yamaha console. And at that point, I don't know if they're still running it, like a hardware recorder, like not a tape machine, but something that's the digital equivalent of a tape machine. Okay. So like you can't edit, you can't use plugins. It's just, it records it and spits it back out. Gotcha. So those are the only two pieces of gear you really have hmm. in a room with, a bunch of other gear like it's just not addressed like <laughs> it's like all those other things you don't worry about those yeah you don't worry about those so i was the one that worried about those and used a lot of it so i was like awesome, man. this thing's fine but what does that thing sound like and then just started like really just any of my projects I'm like cool this may just completely destroy it but what if i plug in through that now how many artists do you work with where you 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 get to go through that process, uh, like with Micah, where you're like, hey, let's, this could sound cool. Let's see what happens. It definitely varies a lot. I try to sneak some of that in pretty much any project I do, unless it's something that's like super straight ahead. Like if it's just trying to record an acoustic guitar and a vocal, and the end result has to sound like just an acoustic guitar and a vocal. Yeah. There's only so much you can do there. But that's if fair. it's like we're recording drums cool, going to put up really standard stuff, do all the really good things, and then put something in a weird spot and just annihilate it and see what happens. <laughs> like, I have a telephone awesome. that plugs in. I have all sorts of just, like, random, terrible-sounding options if they're on their <laughs> own, but in a mix, they sound cool. So it's always like, let me just sneak one of these things in and just see what happens. It like, is amazing. always mute it later. Right. It is amazing, though, how some things on their own may not be great, but for some reason in the right spot in the mix just just sets it off just nice. But but it has to be that right spot. <laughs> yeah. The, a lot of that stuff's like this sounds really bad. And then you bring it in context and it's kind of like, OK, that adds some character to it. It adds a little dimension that's not there. Yeah. It does something, but it's not the main thing like ever. Well, like you said, in the end, you can always mute it. You don't have to put it in the in the end result. Yeah. And I, that's one thing I love about the creative process, just taking those risks ta and, and throwing as ma many things as you can at the wall. And then you start to see what, what actually sticks. And uh, I remember my uh, last band, uh, we used to just get in arguments all the time about all the creative ideas. Like we'd argue for an entire hour about something, like uh, some change or some sound. And instead we just decided after wasting so much time we decided hey we're going to try all the things that are here and then we're just going to decide after that you know and so we would literally just like have this like exchange of because we are all kind of strong-minded individuals <laughs> and but but 
it was after that where things I think got so much better. We wasted less time. It was way more fun. I was less of an asshole, I would say. And I, I think we found better creative ideas because it wasn't just about who could argue the best, but it was just about what was the right sound. And sure. I think it led us down some, some fun roads. So it's cool that you're taking those risks and, and going through that process. Yeah. And I mean, the thing that's really fun with that is that music is entirely subjective. Like, yes, I, I'm sure I'm wildly misquoting it, but there's an engineer, Joel Hamilton, that's ridiculously good. And just everything he does sounds amazing, but it's always like something insane has happened. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about how there's like in music, there's not a better. There's just different. Yes. And that's that different great... can be better, but there's also no best. That's awesome. Like, everything is contextualized like that heavy distorted Marshall guitar sounds cool. If you're in a rock band, really, really weird. If you're in a jazz ensemble, right? Like it could be the best sounding thing for what it is, but it's all context. So you can do all these crazy things. And as long as it's done tastefully, it works, but you have to really define where you're going. So yeah, there's a lot of projects that those kind of things are very encouraged. And then there's a lot of them that are like, no, we're, we're not doing that. Like, why, <laughs> why are you setting up four other microphones that we don't need? Like, nope, nope, nope. This is what it is. Hold yeah. on one second. I'm going to have to, my boys are upstairs yelling and I can hear them. <laughs> I'm the only <laughs> one with them. Judah, Joe. Hey, <laughs> close your door and stop yelling, please. It's just me home with them <laughs> right now. Um, and so, yeah, it's the the joys and the struggles of working from home. They're still yelling. Hold on. Hey. Hey. Stop yelling and close your door. Oh, the boys. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Way. I don't know if that was bleeding through or not, but yeah. Um, I could definitely hear them, so hopefully it wasn't too distracting. Uh, <laughs> my my wife now works daytime stuff, and uh, she just got a new job as a case manager, is what she used to do before she uh, was stay-at-home mom. And uh, so it's just me here with our two littlest at the moment. <laughs> nice. And the, the insanity of it. But, but yeah, the, the subjectivity of art is it's such a real thing. I've actually gotten back to arguing. Sometimes I, I like arguing and I got in an argument with someone who's trying to say music is objective period. And they, there's good music and there's bad music. And we, we were going toe to toe and I, I could say maybe you could find bad execution. Um, but even then there's some people who like bands yeah. that are rough around the edges and they connect with that for some reason. So, yep. and that's where I was like, bro, it is subjective. We, we were going, and that argument for a long time. Like I said, I can I can argue, um, but but yeah, the subjectivity is just it's a real thing. Like, and there's yeah. there's things that I find that other people would listen to that I would I love, they would probably hate, and and vice versa. Sure, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting talking to people about like even opinions of one band's discography. Mm-hmm. There's always yes. like somebody will be like, no, the first record's the good one. And someone else is like, no, that one's trash, but their fourth record, that's where they really hit it. It's like, well, you're not wrong on either account here. Like, both of them are works of art that you can enjoy. Right. But, like, what part of that do you connect with and why? Mm-hmm. Well, and that's uh, Metallica is one of those things where there's, like, pre-Black Album, post-Black yep. Album, basically, and... And uh, that's one of those arguments I will get into with with people as well. But it's like people who were just like pre-Black Album and Black Album destroyed the world. And for me, that was when I got into them. That was something sure. about that grabbed me. Um, and honestly, I and I know this is an unpopular opinion, but we're going to go with the fact that it's subjective. I actually like the snare sound in St. <laughs> I act, There's something about it. I would never want it on one of my own records, but there's something about it. <laughs> <laughs> I love, and uh, that's when I get judged really hard when I say shit like that, and when I say I like Vanessa Carlton. But that's a whole other conversation. Sure. Uh, well, I mean, you can also go like Nickelback is kind of the same thing. Where like, yes, musically they're really boring. Production uh-huh. is insane. It is well. It like, is good. 
it's the highest budget production of that style of music possible. <laughs> Love it or hate it, it's done really well. Yeah, and th- that's the one I have to whisper because, like, when Nickelback first came out, I really loved it. And uh, but then it was funny is we were on tour like years and years after Nickelback first came out, and we we're I think we we're in Arkansas. We were playing some party, some private show, some private party, and all these college students kept coming up to us requesting Nickelback. And we kept laughing at them because we thought it was a joke because everywhere else we would go, sure. it was a joke. <laughs> they were dead serious, like dead serious. And we're like, damn, we really, I'm sorry, we don't. Like after about the fourth person <laughs> asked you, we're like, there's like a little hub of Nickelback love right in sure. somewhere in Arkansas, just outside Fayetteville. So <laughs> That tracks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's that. And yeah, I could go down all my unpopular loves now. Uh, with subjective music, but then some people will just judge me on that, I think. and Just uh, start another podcast for it. Yeah. <laughs> guilty pleasures. Musical yeah. guilty pleasures is what we'll call them. But but yeah, the subjectivity, I think, is so real because like in being out meeting so many different artists like and seeing so many different fans and how they connect with different artists that I'd like, I'll see them perform and I'm not into it at all. But then there's... 30, 40 people sitting at the front of the stage just, like, wrapped up in that moment, which is, yeah, it's interesting to me. It's such an interesting yeah. thing. So when you, so you left Warrensburg, did you come straight to Kansas City after that? Yeah. What did that look like? Um, so, I mean, it was a really easy transition. So one of the guys that I was in college with also, like, grew up with is worship director for platwoods united methodist church okay they needed a tech director because they were building a massive new space so i just kind of managed to get that um i went up a couple of weekends like met the people there ran some services so that they could tell like i know what i'm doing and then just took a job right out of college so that's awesome yeah that's been great it's been a nice stable thing and then I've just been able to find whatever audio work I want around that. Worked out of a couple of different commercial spaces for a while for doing studio work. Yeah, it's been a pretty easy move, really. That's awesome. Now here you are with your actual own space, built with your own hands. Yep. And uh, even as you work out the shelving in that back room. Yeah. I know that sounds... <laughs> that still needs to happen, but... <laughs> Sorry to bring it up there's... then. Sorry. Yeah, there's plenty of stuff. As you go along. So, and then how, how's progress with the piano? Cause I happen to just be there just after you guys got a piano delivered <laughs> yeah. in the studio. Yeah. I mean, that's been not really getting use yet, but mm-hmm. it's kind of been like none of the projects that I've been working on or in the middle of really needed it yet. I'm sure modern day Fitzgerald will end up with a bunch of piano on something just cause it's Micah. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> He'll impulse throw something onto a track and then it'll stick. Uh, but no, that was that was great. It was just a piano that someone needed to offload and I happened to have a space for it. So it showed up. It's been tuned. I haven't really checked to see if it's held that because air conditioning, I'm sure, is kind of vital for it to be stable. That's true. So I... Yeah, I kind of just don't want to check it until we have air conditioning because I'll just get really sad. <laughs> Getting the AC in soon, though. I hope. I, I hope, I hope so. Sake. I think I just saw people walk in to start working on it. So, ooh, that's nice. Hopefully, that means that things are going to be good. I have my reservations because I've been in this <laughs> venue for four years at shows, and it's not not been the greatest. But we'll get there. Gotcha. Gotcha. (laughs) Now, as far as connecting with artists and bands, like, so you moved here, you had your stable uh, tech job, but what has that been like for you of building the networks uh, in, in marketing essentially to other bands and artists? Yeah, that's been an interesting thing to just be able to find for one, just how to market to artists and how to find that community, but also just finding a niche that you actually like. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it's for most people, it's a pretty easy, like, I am defined by the stuff I enjoy listening to, and that's what I want to work on, um, which I'm very much in the same boat. I like singer-songwriter stuff and indie bands and all that kind of, like, 
general umbrella. Right. Um, so a lot of that I hung out at the Rhino a whole bunch because I went to something there and saw that like every band that's playing is something that I'm into. There's all these like singer songwriter nights. There's like tons and tons and tons of stuff. That's just, this is what I want to work on anyway. Mm -hmm. So if you just become friends with everybody and everyone knows you and then knows what you do, right. Then it's a way easier ask for someone to say, Hey, I'd, like I want to record a couple of songs. Do you know anybody? And then everyone in that circle at least knows you. Right. Um, and then it's just the process of get to work with more people. People can hear more of what you do. And then eventually there's a reputation there. Um, and then the other side of that was I got hired on at Chapman recording like six months or a year after I moved up here. Nice. They had a position that was like just a part-time nights and weekends engineer yeah so i did that and that was interesting because like if you were familiar with that studio it was super heavily hip-hop and rap okay so kind of out of your realm from what you yeah yeah and like part of getting hired was hey you have to bring somebody in that's hip-hop or rap and you have to bring something in that has a drum set because those two things come up and we need to know you can do them right and like here's however many hours you need of studio time, just work around our schedule and bring someone in. That's cool. That's so, a cool yeah. way to get a job. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I did that and it went fine. Like I can record drums. Rap is really easy to record. There's a whole <laughs> like thing for how you process it. And certain artists have really distinctive sounds that people try to copy. And it's a bit of an, like an entire subgenre of, recording mm -hmm. but the basic like i can capture it make it cut through and then if they ask for certain effects i can find a way to duplicate it nice so that's fine i can do it um it it was a good position it got me more comfortable working in like actual proper commercial settings where people were paying real money and all that kind of thing where just the expectations are different um and mm -hmm. then it also like organizational stuff and some of the like working backbone of just how you do work in audio was yeah. really helpful to just be thrown into it. And then you get this whole, like, here's how we do everything. Here's how you back it up. Here's what we're doing for this, all that stuff. But then also just being thrown in a room with someone that you've never met that you may or may not connect with musically may or may not speak the same primary language but in three hours, this track needs to be done. That's awesome. Like so it can some kind of those of stretch scenarios. you along. Yeah, like a lot of the sessions were just like, cool. It's rap in English, and by the time that you load up whatever beat they brought in, you can kind of tell what you're going for. Uh -huh. And then there are some sessions where it's like, there was I forget the guy's name, but there was one Hispanic rap artist that I worked with a fair amount. It was all in Spanish. I'm like, well, I don't speak Spanish. <laughs> um, so there was a lot of like comping was interesting because they would say like, oh, it's at this word. I'm like, okay, <laughs> like, you well. have to listen to it as like <laughs> a sound, not a word at that point. Yeah. You have to be like, okay, this sound is what I'm looking for. Let me find where that is and do the edit there. And then there was one session that was really odd. I do not know how it got booked or why it happened, <laughs> but it was like 9 p.m. to like 3 a.m. And it was a rap session. I was like, okay, fine. Like I'll deal with my sleep schedule, figure out how to just, you know, compensate, make it work. Then I show up and all the tracks are rap songs and one of them's in English. The other several are Japanese. Wow. I okay. Like, well, all right. Till 3 a.m. through it. <laughs> yeah, really, really late night session. It's like, this is interesting, but okay. And that's, that's funny too, when you think about like the studio world, a lot of bands are, you know, starting artists, rappers, they'll, they'll take the studio time at night and the late night mm -hmm. sessions, you save money, all that kind of stuff. But man, I am not into that. I like showing up studio like 9am, 10am, Yeah, done by like 3 
because that's about when my brain shuts down. <laughs> yeah, that's it's fair. like the I am not into the late night ones. Are you a late nighter? It depends on the project. Like mm-hmm. if it's something I'm really into, it's way easier to stay motivated later. Right. Um, yeah, I think so much of the late night thing kind of is just a like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like so much of the late night thing is just a perception of what studio life is, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah. Because so much of what they're looking at is like really high profile artists and they'll do stuff like go play a show and then go to a studio or go to whatever party or event post concert. Yeah. It's like, well, that's fine, but that's probably not the most ideal time. Like, <laughs> it is the not. thing that I can. And I know hearing... so many who do the late night ones, and I'm just like, oh, yeah. But go ahead, sorry. Well, and the thing that I kept hearing is, like, younger, like high school kids would call the studio and be like, "Hey, I want to work here and all this," and then they'd meet with Chuck, which was a funny interaction, like, almost <laughs> every time. Like, the, I bet the dude can hang because he's been in the business for quite a while and also has been in the like specifically rap studio business for quite a while but i mean he's a just nearly retired dude that's been in this thing for a while and kind of doesn't want to take crap from people yeah and they'd be like yeah like tech worked here so like this is going to be a good thing and chuck's like yeah tech nine did work here whenever he was getting really famous he was here about 50 hours a week every week (laughs) like this was not a he showed up we did the thing and he left it was the guy showed up early and stayed late every day that's some powerful insight right there and yeah it's like you have to work at this thing because there's no shortcut like especially at that point there might be a little more now with everything being so easily accessible but yeah still kind of isn't a shortcut for talent I love that. It's like, here's the perspective. Like, yeah, here's the time. He would sit down here's and like, the hours. he would do, yeah, like he would do studio tours with people and then they would bring up Tech Nine almost every time because dude is an empire, especially in the Kansas City scene. Yeah. And like, yeah, it'd just be every time. Like, yep, he got really famous working out of here, but here's why. Like, he had a good team and was here constantly creating. That's awesome. How much did your time at Chapman influence where you're at now and how you design the studio and how you're approaching running your own studio there? So I think like it did influence a fair amount of just the way I run things Um, for better or worse. I don't know, but whatever, I've kind of adopted similar policies and practices to what they did. A lot of how I actually like work in sessions ended up more from the internship that I did out at castle recording. Okay. Because like, it's a ridiculously cool studio outside of Nashville. And if you think about anything that happens in Nashville, there's a lot of union scale Mm -hmm. and that's expensive. (laughs) And then you have a big name engineer and that's expensive. Yeah. And you have a studio that's two grand a day and that's expensive very so everything there was like we put mic stands away this way and they are tightened this much no one's going to think about how tight these are whenever they get a stand out because they need to go like there's yeah. no time to sit there and mess with like is this stand loosened is this one gonna even loosen up like everything is the same every time that's amazing and like that kind of thing i've really dug into because it makes everything so much easier if it's just always the same Mm-hmm. Like you can set up a million different ways, but if you're like walking into a room and the zero point for the room is always the same thing, everything is just able to go so quick. It's so true. And that was one thing that was like, oh, that's that's how this really works. Like that's how professionals <laughs> do things. Like there's not some random pile of mic stands. It's like, no, everything is set up the same. Well, and I imagine that helps helps control like if there's something broken and those things yeah. too it takes all that guesswork out of it i love that that streamlining i worked at a place before where we we had what we called zero state and because we had so many shared places that mm-hmm. everyone was working out of and and it really did help and 
I wasn't always the best at it, I'll be honest, but the value of it I definitely saw in and how powerful it can be, especially when you're in every single time you need to set up in a different way, which I imagine yeah. for you is a lot like that. Yeah. There's a lot of like, oh, cool. This day is this completely different thing. So everything needs to get taken down because I hate walking into a studio and it's just like half of the mess from the previous session is still there. Like that just doesn't feel good. It doesn't look good. Everything yeah, and as an artist, if you're paying by the hour, that that can get pretty rough too. So it's just... yeah. Well, and like if someone walks into a studio to do a session, and there's half of the drum mics and cables still laying out, and they're just cutting vocals, mm-hmm. like it looks like you didn't care enough to actually take the time to put away what you did before. Right. So then like, it just brings doing? up so many questions of like, okay, am I just getting like whatever was left over for gear or am I getting like the best thing you can give me or is like the really good mic still on the drum set? <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, um, for the last two questions, uh, the coming from this, this idea of live and create, uh, for you right now, uh, how would you define living a great life? I feel like for most people right now, like living a great life is having some kind of like comfort and some way to actually rest and just be at peace. Hmm. Everything is so chaotic, both like large scale and small scale. Like personally building a studio is a crazy nightmare and it's a lot to do all the time. So being able to say like, okay, cool. After I do all this stuff, I'm going to go home, hang out with my wife, make drinks, and just not think about whatever else I got to do tomorrow. Like, I just need to take a break, actually have time to, like, process or just get away from something and just actually be able to have that structure or ability to have structure. Right. And so it sounds like for you that helps... How it essentially that discipline helps you just let things go for at least a minute. Yeah. Like you, I don't know how people can survive without some way of just finding comfort and rest. Like, even if everything's crazy around you, there still has to be something you can do to like calm down and be able to at least lean in the direction of good. <laughs> like, <laughs> Even if everything is kind of awful, you have to at least be able to say like, okay, this, this thing right now is good. It's like, I'm going to enjoy this glass of whiskey and time with my wife and relax. No, I I can deal with tomorrow, tomorrow, but like (laughs) you you need to have the ability to like, just keep yourself sane. That's awesome, man. I love it. Well, and for the last question, how would you right now define creating great things? I feel like there's... I mean, again, everything creative is hyper subjective, but um, I feel like you can either go the route of like, you're just striving for whatever the, I mean, I just said the word best isn't real in this context, but whatever the best realization of the projects and ideas that you have would be. So again, whether it's recording something really simple, building a live stream, building a recording studio, whatever it is just creating something that is the best possible version of it you can present to the world. And I mean, again, best is subjective. It's all internal, whatever you see as your end goal with that, just striving to hit that point. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's also kind of the other side of that, which like is heavily, heavily influenced by my wife being a therapist where it's how can you do something that puts at least some positivity out there. Like yeah. there is so much stuff that's negative and I feel like the creative space is a really valuable area to just do something that brings people again, peace, relaxing, or just something to relate to and tie to. Right. Cause even if you're doing stuff that's like really aggressive or really depressing music, there is still some value in other people being able to connect to it and at least confirm that other people are going through it and that like, you know, you're not alone. All of that is really important. 
especially in like everyone's been in isolation in some varying degree having something that's like here's your creative space here's something important you can do with it yeah no like i like that, that yeah that carries a lot of weight to me that's cool yeah leaving i have to think about is like how do i like the legacy is a thing that i keep coming back to and it's like what do i leave behind um and even in that i hear you saying like creative your creative work how is it making life maybe better for somebody else and what are you offering them uh, in yeah. value and so i dig that and even what you're talking about right before that like this this concept of best uh, but the best being like, like I, I'm an externally, uh, I love external validation, uh, sure. but it's that internal validation. I was even just reflecting on that today of like, like really I know, like there's times that I've gotten external validation, but I know I didn't do the hundred percent behind it. Yeah. And so it wasn't, I didn't find the joy in that. And so it's like, what's the, what's the internal validation that I'm, I'm trying to find. So I'm proud of it even if people don't like it or, you know, cause finding that other side where people have liked some things where I know I just half asked it and I'm like, why do you even like it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's well, like, how, how yeah. do you build that, you know, and find that? Yeah. Cause I feel like again, in anything creative, it's subjective, but whenever you started recording that song, you had an idea of what that song was going to be. Mm -hmm. It can change, it can modify, it can go a million directions, but you still kind of have an idea of where you want to be or what kind of like what bar you set for yourself. Yeah. And like just striving to achieve that and actually like live out whatever your goal was. And I mean, it's kind of another tangent, but being able to do something to the point where you don't have to have that little like asterisk next to it where it's like, <laughs> Hey, check this mix out. But I only did this on headphones. Like, <laughs> cool. Like are you proud of the mix or not? Like, right. The thing you just sent me that you want me to give you validation on, is this something that you are confident in or is this just you seeking validation? Like, Absolutely. Ideally, it's just you're proud of it and you can send it out and you just say, hey, check this out. That's a good. I love that without the asterisk on it. And yeah, like it, I love that. That's a great way to look inside yourself. It's like if you feel the need to just preface it then go the fuck back to work and yeah. make it well, better. Yeah, I mean, if you say like, hey, I made you this dinner, but the store didn't have this thing, like, well, right. did you adapt? Are you proud of it? Or are yeah. you just telling me that because you were, like, hyping up this ingredient? Like, what's <laughs> what's the reason for that extra claim there? That's awesome. I love it. Well, thanks for spending the time. Let everyone know where they can connect with you for their next projects or find out more about what you guys are up to there in the whole shared space of the Rhino. Yeah. So for myself personally, um, Instagram and Facebook are kind of the two main things that I use a lot. Both of them are just Alex Garnett Audio. Um, I've got my website, alexgarnettaudio.com. And for anything beyond that, you can check out anything to do with the Rhino or the RhinoKC.com, I believe, is the website. And then Cultivar is kind of the larger, even going one step bigger, where you start including Post and Cheesy Street and all of those other, like Bar Nasty Ferments is here. Tons and tons of cool stuff happens in this building. So, yeah, Cultivar is kind of the overarching all of the stuff here. All of the things. Well, yeah, thanks again. All the stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Live and Create podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure you subscribe and leave a comment or a review. The Live and Create podcast.